Interestingly enough, I, I think what you're you're hinting at for me is something I've spent a, a lot of time thinking about directly as well as indirectly, and that is this idea that we are we're the best versions of ourselves, or at least we feel like the best versions of ourselves. We're comfortable in our own skin. We're at at peace would be the word in our own skin when we feel connected with reality. And, you know, watching movies like The Matrix and we have all the other metaphors in philosophy, you know, what is real? What is truth? And we can kind of get lost in these cycles of gray and fog. But I think we all know it from a first person perspective when we feel ultimately grounded. I like that word grounded and connected in who we are, where we are and what we're doing. Now, modern convention might throw words like flow at that, but but flow is almost this grandiose type thing that, that is presented at times as being difficult to get into. The reality is flow permeates everything that we do throughout our day. And, and for me, this, this flow state or this connected state is when, yeah, you are at peace with yourself. You feel grounded in what you're doing and, and where you're doing it. Yeah, I hit record, don't worry. I, I've so far never forgotten to hit record on any of these episodes. Um, live streaming helped that before, but I have forgotten to hit audio record sometimes. Yeah, there's a lot to think about when you're doing this, Nick. Isn't it on Zoom, though? It tells me when you're recording. That's the only thing. It doesn't show that it's recording on my end, so I just didn't want you to miss it. <laughs> I, I use a super secret, better way of ah, recording. Ah, there you go. There it is. So the the zoom quality is not that good so yeah. I, I i record it direct so the the streaming software that i use i'm, oh, I'm yes yeah i'm recording my screen and then the audio is getting pumped out to a separate device and blah 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 gotcha. <laughs> anyway how are you i'm very good i'm very good just uh looking forward to moving moving houses the chaos of that but uh new grounds to 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 be inspired by yeah you said you're moving more into the countryside right we are we're, we're gonna have a uh I, I i put it this way and my wife and i really liked it instead of uh having a house with a garden we are going to be in a garden that happens to have a house so <laughs> the, the, the land is uh is quite vast in the place we're in. So we're, we're literally out in the country. That's the beauty though of Ireland. You, you can do that. You can be 10 minutes outside of Dublin and all of a sudden you're, you're in uh, quite literally greener pastures and that's us. So we're looking forward to it. It's kind of the same in Yorkshire as well. It's, it's, yeah, I would imagine. It's, it's, it's why I love it. Yesterday I rode, drove out about 15 miles into the middle of the Peak District, jumped on my mountain bike and then just rode up rode up a hill for a couple of hours and then rode back down the other side and didn't see a soul for three hours. Brilliant. I, I, I can't remember. I think since last we spoke, I took up uh, road cycling with my wife and, and we go out through the, the Dublin Wicklow mountains and there's this 88 K loop that we do. And yeah, you, you might see maybe three or four other cyclists, maybe two or three cars but you literally feel like you're riding through a picture. I feel like I'm Bert in Mary Poppins and literally just jumped into the chalk painting. And, and there we are in the most picturesque landscape. I mean, Ireland, if you know where to look, is just unbelievably beautiful and no different from, from where you are, Craig. Yeah. it's. Have you always appreciated that kind of thing? Countryside, uh, etc. Not in a Not in a in a real way in that, you know, I might say things like, Oh, it's so beautiful or, Oh, let's stop and smell the roses or, Oh, let's, let's be present. But I feel, I don't know if it's COVID. I don't know if it's the circumstances of where I'm at in my career and life or, or just being in Ireland, but I've, I've developed a new appreciation for just being physical in 
and with nature as much as possible. And, and again and again and again, I find myself kind of in my happy space, which reverberates beyond the experience when I'm, I'm physically active with others in nature. And so when my wife and I go on these 88K cycles out into to the middle of the hills, just gorgeous landscape, I come back and I'm just, I'm on fire for the rest of the day. I found the same thing in, in swimming in the sea, especially during the winter time when it's six degrees Celsius, you get out of there four minutes and you are getting an entire day of just euphoria. And so there's, there's something real for me about reconnecting with nature that has been reverberating quite positively uh, throughout the rest of my life. It's kind of, kind of the same for me. I mean, it's your, your job kind of working with athletes and things like that isn't as kind of digital as my job is. I, I literally have to, have to probably sit in front of a computer six to eight hours every day. So th- there's no way of me getting away from that. So I, I absolutely need to spend time as soon as possible when I've done the, the things that I'm doing to either go for a walk or, or go for a bike ride or jump out into the countryside. Because if you don't, you just kind of, you, you're living in this virtual reality. 24 hours a day and it, it really does get to you I, I didn't realize that for the longest time either probably four or five years ago but yeah it it makes such a huge difference just going for a walk in the countryside it's hard to describe well <laughs> interestingly enough i i think what you're you're hinting at for me is something i've spent a lot of time thinking about directly as well as indirectly. And that is this idea that we are, we're the best versions of ourselves, or at least we feel like the best versions of ourselves. We're comfortable in our own skin. We're at, at peace would be the word in our own skin when we feel connected with reality. And, you know, watching movies like the matrix and we have all the other metaphors in philosophy, you know, what is real, what is truth? And we can kind of get lost in these cycles of gray and fog. But I think we all know it from a first person perspective, when we feel ultimately grounded, I like that word grounded and connected in who we are, where we are and what we're doing. Now, modern convention might throw words like flow at that, but but flow is almost this grandiose type thing that, that is presented at times as being difficult to get into. The reality is flow permeates everything that we do throughout our day. And, and for me, this, this flow state or this connected state is when, yeah, you are at peace with yourself. You feel grounded in what you're doing and, and where you're doing it. And so just to pull an example from sport, one of the most common things you'll hear an athlete say when you're working with them on, on something trivial, it could be sprinting, could be passing or kicking a ball. It could be something in the weight room is I'm in my head or I got to get out of my own way, or I'm feeling, you know, paralysis by analysis might be a phrase we use in sports psychology. And if you think about it, it's, it's when we're kind of in this, in, in our, in our mental space, in our head space, or we're in this digital social world that we feel just slightly disconnected from reality, meaning the realness of what is going on around us in the present moment. We can get lost in, in, in just kind of rumination. And we know a certain level of rumination and thinking past, present, future is valuable, but also there's a connection. The more time you spend in that, it, it inevitably gets to the point where it negatively impacts your mental health. And I think with social media, notably in, in just the digital space, it invites us to disconnect from reality and in, in, in the real physical space, our bodies actually inhabit in a given moment. And so, so much of my own work with athletes is trying to get them truly connected to what they're doing rather than thinking about what they're doing. I don't want you to think about your body while you move your body. But so often that's what's going on. We're thinking about what we're doing while we're doing it and we're judging it all at the same time. And I think ultimately what that does is it creates this space, this barrier between 
us, our body, and the physical environment. And I think that for me is one of the key sources of suffering in its many forms for people. How big of an impact do you feel like social media and the digital space has on a lot of athletes these days? Well, I can tell you what, when I first started my career, we, we did not have people come in at the beginning of a season to talk about your social profile and social etiquette and what it means to have a digital footprint that will never go away. And now we do. And so I think for many athletes, they see it as an opportunity, a positive one to get their brand out and to expand their place, to be as much of a, of a social figure as they are an athletic one. At the same time, I think it, it scares a lot of athletes because they are in the limelight, they are scrutinized, and their ability to use social media, maybe in a more layperson, is just not available to them because everything that they will say and do will be judged with the, the highest level of, of unfortunately, harshness. And so, yeah, I think it is for those that want to dabble in that space, they have to be smart about it. And it can be a stressor. Many of the athletes I know don't, don't do it themselves. Mm. They work with a social media manager who gets to know them, understand them, gets content videos and curates the entire thing on their behalf, which creates a security blanket and likely optimizes their use of it anyhow, because it's not like they have all the time in the world to be driving it themselves. So do you ever see it kind of take any other weird influences? Say you, you start working with a young athlete and they, they look some stuff up online and say, oh, I think we should be doing it this way, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what, what do we call it? My, my old coaches, when I worked in the States, uh, you know, uh, stump the chump. Stump the chump is what they would say. And, you know, everyone's web MD, that was kind of the early days, right? You'd web yeah. MD yourself. You'd go to the doctor with the answer, but now there's a web MD equivalent for literally everything yeah. uh, society and life has to offer. And so I wouldn't say that it's uniform that you come across a lot of athletes, but you definitely will meet the mad keen athlete who's their own advocate. And to be honest with you, Craig, I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all because if they're taking that much of an interest in what they're doing and they want to challenge or ask questions, I'll take that any day of the week over the opposite. The, the problem is when you can't get on the same page. And I think that's probably the same with doctors or, or anyone else for that matter, whose industry is quite visible in the social space, but at the same time recognizing in the fitness and health industry is notorious. There's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of noise because especially in strength and conditioning, they call it the side hustle. We hear it all the time. There's a fixed number of strength conditioning roles within professional sport worldwide. And especially in this part of the world, it's not like all of a sudden new sports pop up or new franchises pop up every day. Yet the schools, as good as they are, have no issue graduating hundreds and thousands of students year on year. And so, unfortunately, the, we talk about echo chambers. There's a tremendous echo chamber of individuals who have high theoretical knowledge, really low practical knowledge, pumping information out socially or trying to make some extra dollars doing it that can, can confuse the space. And so for a lay individual just trying to get out there and acquire information and advocacy for themselves in their own path, it, it, it's very difficult, very difficult. I'm sure you find that in other industries as well. SNC and fitness is just no different. Mm. I just wonder if it brings in maybe, especially in fitness, I know I've, I've seen it a lot in design as well, that it kind of brings in this, um, because so many more people are graduating, it's exactly the same in design and tech and things like that. Um, we're kind of lucky that there's a, a huge boon in, in jobs and things like that, but there is still a hard limit on these kind of things, especially yeah. the the best jobs um but but what it does is it kind of makes everybody you you almost don't stand a chance unless you have the 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 qualifications and the correct theoretical knowledge and you kind of alluded to it a little bit there that some people have all the theoretical knowledge but not necessarily the doing knowledge not the learned experience uh and 
that 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 becomes I've seen that because I, I also teach designers. I've seen that that becomes a harder and harder thing to deal with that they're saying to you, yes, but technically it's correct. And you're saying back to them, yeah, but it's not right. <laughs> and I'm saying that from 16 years of in the trenches design experience, and they're coming back at me with maybe two or three years theoretical experience and there's a mismatch between that knowledge and it's sometimes hard to say to them yeah but I know that from years of experience this isn't going to work even if this is what you've read in a book um that that I guess that becomes harder and harder to deal with as well I know I know it does for me sometimes well what you say there strikes a nerve and if someone doesn't write this book, I'd like to write it one day. And that's where we have this, this confusion and I'm hearing it from you in your industry. And we certainly have it in the health and fitness industry. And it's probably uniform across different industries. And that is this confusion or misvaluation of knowledge of what and knowledge of how. And that I think we, we've put a pretty high premium, at least we do with our behavior academically when we're developing people for industries in the knowledge of what to do. So it's this theoretical declarative knowledge that they can put into words in this scenario, this is what we should do. But only in time you realize, well, the world is, is quite chaotic and in many industries that we engage in, especially ones that are, are creative or deal with human beings, are not gonna have a one size fits all approach in whatever the, the endeavor or scenario is. And so many times theoretical knowledge is just an average of best practice that commonly in this scenario, on average, this might be a best approach. And we call that knowledge of what to do. But knowledge of, of how to do it that's, that's the wisdom. That's the nuance. That's the experience in context. You know, I think it was a, a famous hockey player once said that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Like just literally one of my favorite quotes of all time. But I think that's what we're, we're getting at here. And most certainly we will meet a lot of graduates in strength conditioning who have all the credentials, many have an MSc or a PhD, but when you meet them and you actually put them in front of real people, real athletes, that theoretical knowledge does not transfer. They know what exercises should happen or how to program, but they have no idea how to communicate. They have no idea how to get it off the program and into the person. And so, you know, this, this is the, the big challenge in many, many industries that have in an outcome a high dependency of knowledge of how to do something, but academically it's all knowledge of what to do. Both are important, but if you don't have that that latter one, knowledge of how, you're just not going to cut the mustard. I've I've often joked, almost not even joking, saying that as as a, well as a creative, particularly as a kind of a job in designer, if you as, as a service you know, you're working in a service industry, one of the most important things is to have people skills and to to almost be a, an amateur psychologist. That's the, the most important thing. And I, I would assume that it's very similar in the kind of industry that you're in as well, that you just, you need to understand people and nobody, can you even teach that? But no, nobody really you know, nobody really bothers with that. They only bother with that as soon as they get on the job. And um, it's a weird one. So you, you work in the, in the, in the digital space, as you said earlier, far more than I do. And what I find is across industry, more and more people because of this medium are, are drawn to prioritize knowledge, right? And, and, and primarily is knowledge of, of what knowledge of how to do something requires, you said it, the doing of it. You can't just be this passive recipient of information, but our primary way of engaging with, with knowledge in a manner that in its presentation suggests that it's going to help us know something. And then we'd assume do something is such this passive medium. 
And the more time I'm on here, I, I could watch I just took up axe throwing and I'm going to join an axe throwing club. I could watch YouTube videos, Craig, on axe throwing till I'm blue in the face. But if I don't actually go out and get an axe and throw it at a piece of wood, I'm not going to learn the skill. If I don't actually get out and talk to people, I'm not going to learn the interpersonal amateur psychologist skills you reference. So what are we going to do about this? Because I don't see the internet going away. I don't see the digital space going away. I only see it looking to engage and infiltrate more and more aspects of our life. And maybe, you know, thousands of years down the road, we'll evolve to have low physical activity, really high sugar intake and all the other foods that we have. And our brains will just thrive on this digital world, our body will dissolve itself and will become some kind of version of the matrix. But in our lifetime, Craig, that, 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 that world is fast approaching, but our physiology is not going to catch up that quickly. So I, I'm wondering, what do you think is going to happen? Because we are seeing the body. If we, if we use the body as, as, as metaphorical, as a representation of the doing mm-hmm. of any given thing, I feel like the body is being left behind I'm just curious, how are we going to overcome that? Because not everyone's doing what you're doing and getting out for the walk or or going on the mountain bike. Not everyone's doing what I'm doing. The vast majority, in fact, we know statistically are not, and it's only getting worse. That's kind of doomsday, but but what do you think is going to happen? What's the the solution? Have you thought of one in your many, many talks with others as well about getting things done? How do we get that done? How do we get that change? Mm. I've 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 spoken to it a lot recently, actually, in a lot of episodes recently. I think there's two there's two things to this. One of them I'll come back to in a minute, which is a kind of analog revolution, which I'll come back to in a minute. And the the other thing I think is, is to look at the context of this because I've seen this happen in my industry, and I've seen it happen in many other industries. There's, I I think the reason this is, uh the way this is getting combated in a lot of industries, particularly in the digital industry, is um, people get more and more specialised. So previously, when I first started as officially as a designer 16 years ago, I did everything. So I, 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 met, I met the clients, I did the branding work, I d- designed and built the websites, I, literally everything. I would have done everything, kind of a Swiss army tool. And as the years have gone on and on and on now in a typical website project you may have five people involved whereas it would have been one previously and if if you look at more complicated website projects you may even have a team of 30 or 40 people um and there there's i saw a thing a while ago that there's talks that web is going to and digital is going to become so complicated that we're going to have teams of you know you know when you you make a movie there's hundreds of people that work on it we're going to have that kind of situation on the web and in digital uh and that's really because everybody's becoming more and more specialized and i I have kind of a theory about this that the reason it's becoming more and more specialized is not particularly because things are getting more complicated it's just that people are getting more and more socially retarded so they they you, the old way would have been you would have learned from a master wouldn't you you would have become an apprentice and you would have learned from a master for probably th- three to five years say and that master would have taught you everything across your entire chosen field but now because we live in this kind of weird world of, of industries that that never really had the physical realm in the beginning they don't understand this idea of master and apprentice so the jobs just become ridiculously specialized because you can learn it all by yourself become an expert at it all by yourself and need nobody else to make a living from it and then the kind of the industry reverses itself and now you have a whole bunch of specialists across all kinds of things so i i think that is just going to continue getting more and more and more prevalent in in industries across anything anything i can think of that is happening yeah now in terms of people are becoming more and more specialized i know i've seen it in health and fitness um i know i've particularly seen it in websites and digital there's a whole bunch of researchers now in web web projects depending on where you work 
there's a whole bunch of user experts and design experts and just it's crazy but the job still could be done by somebody like me with experience but that's too difficult for for people to teach now so they don't teach it so I, i think to your point on that i think that's the that's the end game I think that's where it's going. Is is that doomsday or not? I I don't know. I I don't think people will ever know anything else. Um, it becomes an issue if you decide you want to move careers. So say you learn a very specific skill that you are getting, you, you'll be getting paid incredibly well for it. But say you just want to move a little bit, you want to go into a slightly different area. You, well, you don't have the whole body of knowledge that you might have had previously, probably like you are you and I have got of kind of a wide range of things. Almost, you're almost a polymath within your area of expertise. They don't have that, so you'd have to go almost back to the beginning and learn again. That's where it, I guess, becomes a little bit doomsday. Is that kind of the same in your industry? Are you seeing that? Well, yeah, I, I think not as as rapidly, but, you know, for example, you had strength conditioning and then with the strength conditioning, you had all the tech come into play. And so we needed someone who could handle all the tech and the data. And there was a portion of the existing population of S and C coaches that had an affinity towards that anyhow. And as technology improved, they were the early adopters but then you saw people get into the SNC industry aligned to technology, having a, having its day and seeing an increase who might be more analytically minded. They might've gone into physiology or, or research in the past where data was more ever present and what was going on. So then we see this, this growing, okay, now you have a, an SNC coach, but now you have a sports scientist, but now sports science has become so detailed that we have too many data sources just operationally for any one person to manage. But you you can't try to explain the human condition from a physical perspective by looking at all these data sources independently. So you need someone who knows how to integrate this information together to start to tell one story about a person. And so that gave the rise of, you know, what we are loosely calling the sport data scientist who has proper training in computer science coding as well as usually statistics and so now that's a third role and then we started to see okay well there's there's injuries and injuries require specialized knowledge and so yeah you have physios that are working on those early stages albeit supporting to the return to perform but then you have these snc coaches that kind of exist in the middle and so we now have what's called an rtp coach and so with each of our teams you have what used to be one role has now blossomed into into three different roles, four if you add in the data scientist. So so certainly it is happening, but I think S&C and and fitness as a whole has a pretty healthy respect for the generalist perspective because we have to develop strength and speed and cardiovascular fitness in its various forms and take into consideration all the different movements and skills with which these physical qualities need to be expressed. And so I, I don't think we'll see the same level of myopic specialization as, as you've described in your industry, or certainly as we're now seeing in medicine at large, but it is happening to, to some degree. Mm. I, I think, so this leads me to my next point, the analog revolution. Yes. I, I think what, going to happen particularly in digital so digital much like strength and conditioning it's all about progress um progress for progress's sake really i mean what is the point to some extent when you are in strength and conditioning when you are fast enough what is the point to become faster if you are strong enough what is the point to become stronger it's the same in digital it's it's an endless pursuit of progress for progress's sake and that I, I have no opinion on that particularly. I, I don't know whether that is a good thing or a bad thing. Um, it gives you something to do, doesn't it? It gives you something to get better at. Um, but I think what, what that's really doing in, 
So the industry that I'm in, the digital industry, is very young. The internet is very young. It's still yes. a very a very young industry. Job roles are still being created. There is, by necessity, going to be specialization as it matures into a a more healthy a healthy industry. But I think what we're going to see is as more of this specialization becomes in, the specialization is going to become more rapid as these things do. It'll it'll pick up pace and come, become more rapid. And then I think we're going to see a revolution. It'll come right back around again to a desire to be this kind of polymathic thinker, this polymathic digital thinker again. And in fact, some of the roles that you were describing there, I would argue that they are kind of a sort of a polymathic digital thinker, somebody yes. who, who needs to know programming and data science and also something about statistics that is in and of itself quite a, a polymathic role. Um, so I think the industry is going to circle back round and we're going to see some kind of revolution. And what I think we're going to see more of, and I, I've already experienced this because I'm, I'm part of a, a discord that, that kind of promotes this idea, is the, because these people are so digital and because they've been born with it, they've lived with it, they will be um, kind of a human desire, just as we described at the beginning, to go back out into nature to experience analog things so yes. these these things will be a novelty to them using a notebook instead of using yeah. an ipad this will be a novelty um going out for a walk just for fun will will be a novelty um owning a mechanical watch instead of a digital watch or, or even owning a watch at all really at this stage you don't even need a watch that isn't an apple watch all of these things are a kind they become novelties and, and when they try them they realize that there is actually a value in this um yeah. not just health benefits but you know mental benefits and just feel good benefits it's good to get away from the screen for long periods it isn't good for you so yes. I, I i see this analog revolution more and more in this kind of group i'm involved in the majority of the people who come into the group are heavily tech tech people people who spend their entire lives in it and now over the last couple of weeks, you've probably heard the whole NFT thing before and the whole crypto thing and things like that. Just over these last few weeks, it is absolutely exploding. Everybody I know is now interested in NFTs and crypto and how it all works and what they're going to do with it. That is going to make people even more digital. So I think that's the next phase of these things. And those kind of people, they're going to want to experience these physical things as a novelty. So I, I don't necessarily see that we'll evolve to... Um, I remember seeing something ages ago, a comedy thing, where everybody just had long thumbs. Uh, <laughs> they evolved to have really long thumbs. Uh, I don't see that happening because I, I, I just see the human condition just yearning for this thing eventually which is the analog experience offline away from the things we're just not evolved to deal with it and i don't know whether we ever will be i just don't see it i might be wrong and we'll both be dead by the time we do see it but yeah. i i just feel like people keep pulling back towards it you know what i mean 100 percent, 100 percent. you know it's it's it, it I don't think we got into this last time, but the the average person probably doesn't realize how much of their cognition, their ability to think and, and obviously exploit this thinking in the in the digital space is quite literally dependent and built on their physical body. You know, with, with AI in a lot of the, the futuristic movies we love, we think of the mind as this common currency that comes from matter, even though we don't quite understand how mind emerges from the physical matter of our, of our brain tissue, but that one day you'll be able to put it on a, on a USB drive and transfer it to a bionic body or, or a better body, you know, even, even looking at how we can turn back time on our bodies uh, is are all the the things of, of sci-fi and 
I, I could be wrong, but I believe there's a fundamental error in looking at the mind that way as this, we would use the, the phrase disembodied, almost as if our, our physical, you know, frame is, is just this meat that we have to, to huck around to support the real important thing above our neck. But if you go right on back to, to children, babies, when they come into this world, and, and the famous kind of child psychologist, Piaget, is really in modern terms the one who popularized many of these, these concepts and ideas. When we come into this world, all we have is our senses. We can see, we can feel, we can hear, we can taste, right? and all the richness of, of, of our sensory tools. But we can't speak. We don't have an outward or an inward dialogue. We are, are quite unavoidably stuck in a flow state. We are, we are positively connected to everything that is happening around us. And it's almost interesting as a parent, you're sucked into that same vortex, that we feel that the child needs attention all the time. And that's because the child isn't uh, ruminating. They aren't lost in their own thoughts. They are ever present constantly in the moment and they require the parent to do the same. And so what we, what we come to realize is we initially codify the world in the way that we physically engage with it. You know, baby will eat a banana, see a banana, taste a banana before they ever learn the word, right? They'll, they'll play with blocks and trucks and toys and physically get a sense of them in quite a literal sense. They can see them, they can touch them, they get the sense of weight, they know how they operate, they get an intuitive sense of gravity and all the other things that physics tells us far long before they ever have words and cognition and abstraction about it. You know, there's a reason the game is called show and tell. We show it first, we experience it first. And then we, it's not tell and show, that's not how life actually works. And then we think about our use as we get into adults of metaphors. And we've already given a ton here where, you know, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling up today or I'm feeling down or I'm underwater or I'm feeling on cloud nine. All of our metaphors, quite literally our language that we use to explain abstract concepts and ideas to one another in a simple, accessible way is all using language that is built on physicality, literally my ability to stand up, literally my ability to sit down or get lower to the ground. And this isn't trivial. This isn't by chance that language and our use of it to explain concepts and discuss things informationally are built quite literally on our ability to sense and move sensory motor action. And so my real concern, Craig, is the more we see dynamic, spontaneous, creative movement removed from our children in schools and even into adulthood, we are going to become more and more case dependent on information being available to us through the internet, because we are not going to be developing and scaffolding the complex movement that complex thought is built on. And so we, we, we run this real risk of throwing the body out with the baby and the bathwater, and we have to reclaim it. And even though we talk about this in my space all the time around oh, obesity and the importance of physical fitness, the, the real, un, it's, it's a footnote, but it should be on the front cover, it should be on the front page, is the importance of physicality and movement for thinking and cognition. Our thinking literally depends on our body's ability to express it. There's a reason that when you are stuck, whether for you it's coding, working on a website and designing, for me maybe it's writing or problem solving, what do we do? We go on a walk. I think Nietzsche was the one that said all great ideas were conceived while walking. There's a reason for that. It's not trivial or by chance. The physical movement of our body is the way we interact with the world and we abstract those concepts and we turn them into cognitive ideas that we can then verbalize and explain to other individuals. The physical consequences of how we interact with the world turn into the cognitive understanding of that. And very much so when Descartes said, 
I think therefore I am, he put the body in a locker. And no, it needs to be, I move, therefore I am. Because movement well preceded thinking and talking about it. And so for, for me, this is, I love your idea of the analog revolution. It cannot come any sooner. Mm. I, I, I think it, I think it's inevitable really because one of the one of the negatives of the kind of the, the digital space that we live in now is that you are you are really only using one or two sensors to to experience it you are seeing and hearing and, and nothing else that there is well touching I guess you're touching a keyboard but it's it's not it's not the same you're touching a keyboard or a table or things like that and I I think humans have some kind of uh, you know underlying desire to use all of their senses in an activity and when they don't do that something is is missing i think you're completely right that's why i I do stuff like lifting weights or mountain biking or jujitsu things like that because jujitsu specifically i can't think of any other activity i do where i have to be physical thinking and moving you, you know it just it's all the senses and everything you use your entire body to do the activity and you have to be 100 percent present in it and and, and other, otherwise you you get choked out <laughs> so you, you've got to be 100 percent present and, and i think we will we either yearn for those experiences and if we've never discovered them or never experienced them we eventually get drawn into some of them like what i did after realizing that there's kind of something missing, and I, and I was, I, I I was I was overweight. I think I told the story last time. Yeah. Um, and and I realized there was something missing. I didn't, even though I know now that I was running on maybe fifty a uh, fifty percent tank, um, to what I am now. Even though I had less energy, if I compare it back then, I didn't know it. But then, as soon as I did one thing which was to go running even though it felt like it was killing me i realized that there was more potential there and it only takes one of those experiences i think for you to start to realize oh hang about Mm. there's something with this unfortunately for a lot of people that process is very slow and they don't realize it till very late or or they don't stick with it you know they might be passionate about it for a bit and and then not exercise again for for me and i do wish more people thought like this my effectiveness to do my job is directly correlated to how much time i spend away from my job doing physical things so i i have to lift weights a couple of times a week i have to do jujitsu i have to ride my bike i have to walk because if I don't, oh, I have to get eight hours of sleep as well, or as close as I can get it when I can. Because if I don't get those things, it makes me ineffective at the thing that everybody says is is kind of the most important. I think we're probably coming closer to that point now more than ever that people are starting to realize this lie uh, of the eight-hour workday, uh, of, you know, the industrial revolution is gone. That's not the world we're living in now. Most of us are knowledge workers. and and when we, the thing that we are selling and and using is our knowledge and our brains for the lot, a lot of that, it takes way more to cultivate than just sitting and looking at a computer or reading a book. Um, I, I think we're very early on with that, though. Uh, it's hard because I know when I was at school, it probably been the same for you. You had you had the physically fit people, the kind of jock people. Uh, or, or you was the opposite of that and you didn't want to be a jock and and the the jocks were physically fit and strong and things like that and i know i was the opposite to that i was i was what you call in the uk a mosher which was just someone who was into rock music and i had a big chain and i used to uh paint my nails black and listen to you know slipknot and things like that so i was the direct opposite of that i didn't want to be part of that culture and that's one of the other bigger problems, I guess, that physical exercise is is a subculture now, which, which which is crazy. To be physically fit, you are in a minority, and you have to go against a lot of uh, a lot a lot of backlash to want to be physically fit. Well, 
okay. So you're, you're, you've walked us right into something that, that I've been focused on. Well, my whole career, but directly for, for the last couple of months working on this presentation that is, is trying to tackle this exact problem around we've, we've never seen a, a larger access to information and resources and physical spaces for health and fitness than we do right now. You know, it's something crazy, like nearly a hundred billion on the fitness market and 147 billion on the supplement market, like crazy amounts of money spent worldwide yet obesity in the United States, UK would be no different is, is on the rise. We're looking at 50% by 2030 in the United States, childhood obesity is on the rise. Check this stat out since 2006 or seven, they've basically seen a, a flat line with the average adult fitness in the United States. And so what's average adult fitness? Well, that's 23% of males get 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous kind of aerobic activity a week and females 19%. And that hasn't changed. And so we're, we're not, we're seeing a very small percentage of the U S population get an insignificant amount of exercise, right. To say the least of what the vast majority do, which is, which is closer, unfortunately to nothing. And so when you look at this, especially as someone who's in the centerpiece of the health and human performance industry, you're like, well, why we are putting so much into this industry, yet we are not making a dent in any of the key measurables in the key individuals' lives that we're meant to be influencing. Someone put a, a, a quote up on Instagram a few weeks back. I said, and it said, it asked, it, it, was, it was a statement. The fitness industry is designed to help the people who, who need it the least. Mm. That was a, it was provocative, but a very powerful statement. And if you look at the statistics, the person that wrote that statement it isn't wrong. It would be hard to judge them. And so it gets back to what you said, Craig, and that is fitness and health seems to be this exclusive club. It's this pay to play. I need to buy the Apple watch. I need to pay the subscription on the app. I need to go to the club. I need to get the personal trainer. I need to be making massive strides in my weight loss because weight loss and looks, that's what matters. Health is not sexy. Longevity is not sexy. It's the long game. And humans aren't good at the long game. We're good at survival now. We're good at dopamine hit right now. And so despite being able to tell ourselves, I know this is good. I know the broccoli is better than the burger we still oftentimes choose the burger. And I think the first thing that people have to recognize is that's normal. That is normal. This idea of the exercise paradox is that we move when we need to, we rest when we can. And from a hunter forager, hunter gatherer perspective, we literally only exerted ourselves to get the energy requirements needed to sustain life. Actually, if you look at the, the, a, a modern hunter-gatherer group in that they, they still exist, but they representatively operate like an ancient society, they're as inactive as we are day in, day out. But when they're active, they're far more active than we are. And so the narrative we currently have, Craig, is not working. A lot of people don't buy into, well, I need to look a certain way. But at the same time, ah, the, the, the feel better, is that really going to happen? What I'm doing right now is so much easier. And so a book I I would recommend people read, I think it's going to be part of this analog revolution you're talking about. It's it's straight off the press called Burn. And it's by an author named Herman Ponser. And he's an anthropologist. So he studies hunter-gatherers. And he has provided evidence for something we've known about since the 70s, 80s, but real clear evidence that goes something like this. The common person believes that when they exercise, they continue to burn more and more and more and more calories. You know, we hear things like, oh, you know, I, I work out so I can have my beer or eat my food. We have this false impression that when I, I, I can just exercise away or to lose weight, I have to do a lot of exercise. 
And exercise is important, but by itself is a very poor tool for weight loss. And so we sell exercise as a weight loss tool and it's part of the equation, but it's not the entire equation. And that's why so many people can't stick with it because they don't see the results that we sell them with the exercise they're doing. They're not seeing it change on the scale. But interestingly enough, if you look at exercise and physical activity, what it does for mental health, what it does for cognition and what it does for longevity, independent of how fat you are, is unquestionable. And so what this Herman Ponser guy has shown is each of us have a caloric ceiling. So our total energy expenditure in the day, which is the energy needed to keep Craig alive, plus all the energy needed to ride his bike up the hill and go for the walk, so on and so forth. That's total energy expenditure. Rather than it kind of being this linear upward increase, like the hills you ride your bike, it actually goes up initially where I burn a few more calories as I'm exercise, but then it flatlines. And people scratch their heads like, well, hold on. What if I go out and burn, as I do, you know, 1,800 calories on a four and a half hour cycle? You're telling me inevitably my total energy expenditure flatlines? And that's exactly what I'm saying. And so why is that important? Well, here's the narrative that I think we should be talking about. As I burn more calories to be physical, less energy, literally less calories is available for just the normal process of keeping Nick alive, which means the body has to prioritize where it expends its energy around keeping Nick alive, recognizing that not every single system in the body is life-sustaining critical every single day. And so guess what systems get suppressed? They don't get energy. Inflammation doesn't get energy. Stress reactivity, meaning quite literally cognitively how you respond and react and, and hold stress doesn't get energy. Cardiovascular activity, then, what it tells us is inflammation goes down. Stress reactivity goes down. That's why you live longer. That's why you're less likely to have cardiovascular diseases, which did not happen in ancient societies. Hell, you didn't have cavities in ancient societies. And so what we should be selling is this idea that physical fitness will quite literally reconnect you with the world, make you feel better now, permeate every aspect of what you do. And if you are one of those individuals that wants to lose weight, you still should do it. But it's the diet thing that really ultimately is going to knock the Ks off the scale. But unfortunately, this, as powerful as I think it is, as you might think it is, it doesn't sell to, to, to the lay individual as much as the uh, the lean individual on the muscle fitness magazine, but kind of like your analog revolution, I think people are going to get sick of this and they're going to want to go back to a holistic connection with the world around them. And I think this is a, a more stable and accurate narrative that our, our health and fitness industry needs to bring back into the fore. Cause right now it's a footnote. And as I said, it should be on the front page. I, I can sympathize because I, I was there. I, I was working a, a desk job essentially doesn't matter what I was doing I was sat at a desk for eight to 14 hours every single day the business was young I was working a lot of hours and I, I I was overweight and unfit and I did no exercise and nothing spoke to me nothing whatsoever because when you look at a website like my protein or bulk powders or or you look at bodybuilding.com or any of these websites, none of them speak to the person who is currently unfit and needs to start moving. Nothing speaks to, to those people. And that still hasn't changed um, all these years later. And I, I literally had to become a new person, literally, to be able to escape that kind of image that I had of myself and it it wasn't that I wanted to lose weight obviously I did want to lose weight but that wasn't the hardest thing it's easy to lose weight but as we both know everybody usually puts the weight back on yes um it was easy for me to lose the weight initially because you you work out how calories work to an extent and you work out what a good and a bad diet is to an extent and then you just stick it. It needs a bit of persistence and consistency, but 
it's easy to lose the weight. But what isn't easy is to change, like you said, change your frame, change the fact that I am not an unhealthy desk job worker anymore. I am a person who prioritizes my health. I am a person who needs to do these things to stay alive to for longevity. And and that that was one of the biggest shifts in my mind that exercise went from a thing that I hated to do. I didn't even used to enjoy going for walks to to kind of a a, a vital thing that I uh that I enjoyed doing that I I needed to do and it was important as my job to do it but that was a huge shift that valley that I'm talking about there going from where I am now to where I was then that required me to literally change everything that I knew about myself and about the world and be, because I was working in an office you've always got the other things coming in all the time you've got um food coming in you've got cakes or buns or whatever do you want one of these no sorry no i don't want one no i don't want one you then you become the outcast you become the outcast in your office in the office you become the fitness freak yeah yeah, quote marks all i'm doing is eating normally and exercising uh and i I turn up to the office and uh, on a morning back then and i was running into the office and you turn up sweating and you you go get in the shower and you're the weirdo for yeah. for exercising oh what are you doing for dinner i'm going to the gym oh okay you're you're the weirdo um and that takes a lot that takes a very specific kind of person to be able to do that i'm already a contrarian i already like doing everything different to what everybody else does so that wasn't yeah. difficult for me but for other people man that is so so damn hard to break through to be the weirdo in the office I don't know how you do that. Honestly, I don't know how you do that. Well, I think things are going to have to get a lot worse before they get better. Uh, I think if someone was listening to what you just described, who's hasn't even started their journey, not even at the start line, they have an inkling that they want to go on that journey. They have an inkling that they want to make the change and they hear what you've just outlined, right? That's not on the front cover of the magazines. That's not necessarily in the, in, in the motivational self-help books but that's the harsh reality of it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know the exact circumstances, Craig, that that motivated you to make a change, but I went through a near identical process when I was, was 16, you know, where on the outside, I felt that it betrayed how I felt on the inside. Mm. And like you, I knew part of the journey was, was losing the body fat, but it was more the person I would become in the process of losing the body fat that really is what I wanted. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of people have that desire to make a change. A lot of people feel that their, their outward circumstances and kind of their inner emotional circumstances betray who they actually feel they are, who they can be, but they feel in a fog. They feel locked. They don't know how to get out. And they see what it takes from others or how easy in some cases it comes to others. And they're like, well, I don't have it easy as this person. They seem to just naturally have these things. And, you know, I know so-and-so or heard this or saw that and, Oh, they always gain their weight back after biggest loser. Well, why should I even start? And quickly all the reasons not to join the start line and put one foot in front of the other, other start to, to funnel in. But the biggest thing about this Craig is, they're making the more natural decision. The decision to be inactive and to put the cake in your mouth in evolutionary terms is the best decision. Our our blind physiology says, heck yeah, give me the density of energy and I can sit down. I don't have to go for the walk. And so there is a, a, a psychological demand where what in the past was out of necessity now is the product of choice. And there's a psychological energy that comes with making a choice, especially one that is energy costly, meaning it makes you tired, that your body kicks up against, fights against, especially when there's abundance in all the energy you need nutritionally. And so I agree with you. It is, an, it, it is contrarian. It is a, an, an exceptional feat 
for someone to do a body transformation, which really is a body-mind transformation. You don't walk out of these things unchanged mentally. And I don't have a good answer. Our industry certainly doesn't have a good answer on how you can convince millions of people to start to, to make this change. And modern medicine in many ways is not helping. It's keeping people alive longer, and it's, it's even probably adding to some degree a level of, of, of flourishing because of the medicine that otherwise the disease states would take over. And so maybe, maybe we're wrong. Maybe medicine will catch up. Physiologically, we are not equipped to live in the world we do now, which is why obesity will continue to slam up through the ceiling. And the one thing I've always said, and it's, it's, it's morbid, is I think it's only when we start seeing our, our, our life expectancy go down and it's stabilized in America for, for the first time a few years back. And it's not continuing to increase like some other nations are. But when you start to see children die younger and younger and younger or, or, or see premature death because of obesity, I think that's going to be the wake-up call. But the solution won't be, hey, it's the fight against obesity. It has to be the flourishing that comes from being active. And that's the key. It's not about the fatness, Craig. We, we, we now know that it's actually fitness that matters more for career or career for life expectancy than fatness. So we actually can get away with being a little bit bigger as, as a global population, but it's the physical inactivity that will kill you sooner that will cause the, the non-communicable diseases to kick in. But even that's not very sexy. The sexy stuff is how good you and I feel when we get off that damn bike. And, and we can't explain that. It's ineffable. Someone has to go out and experience that for themselves. And I think rarely is it going to happen in a gym. And so as we said at the beginning, I find that the, the elixir here is being physically active with others in nature. And nature isn't just a forest. It's being outside. It's doing something that's fun that you like. Find it. Keep searching until you do. I think that's the key. Mm. Yeah, that that's I've said that to many people. You need to find the thing that you enjoy doing and just do it. Yeah, uh, exactly. That's simple. You that's hard to do. Again, it's not sexy advice, but it's it's hard to do. That means you've got to put yourself in some uncomfortable situations. You've got to join a running club when you yeah. don't even know how to run. Uh you know, you've got to join maybe a walking club and try that out. It, all of those things are really hard to do. And I guess to some extent it comes down to that, doesn't it? It comes down to a, a human desire to be comfortable. Um, and at some point you have to override that desire for extended periods of time to to realize that there's, there's, there's a high bar. If, you, if you've not exercised for quite a while, there's a high initial bar of rediscovering a, a level of fitness I like I, I I said last time we spoke. I literally felt like I was going to die, and I was running half a mile. Yeah. There's a really high bar, and in that instance, there the the level of comfort you have to really go outside of your comfort zone. You have to meet new people and all that kind of thing. It's really tough at that point. It is. It is. But what I discovered, and I think this is the most magical part of it all. It probably won't be to other people, but I can now physically do anything um you're you're almost superhuman <laughs> that I, I can so like i said yesterday i went for a bike ride it was all off-road much higher than i expected it was damn hard work i was climbing at a rate of about four miles an hour not much faster than a walk and i was absolutely shattered and i made nine miles in about two hours and i that was outside of my comfort zone and I was absolutely fine. Or I can go run a tough mudder like I did the other weekend, which, to be honest, isn't even that difficult for me these days. Um, I could go run five miles if I wanted to. I could go walk 15 miles. Yeah. All of those things, they're all available to you anytime and any place that you want them. I think that's a really magical part of it. You can go for a long bike ride if you want to. 100%. And 100%. you recover the day after. And, and then when you get to that point, it isn't about the physical fitness really you are in the moment enjoying the thing that you truly love and then you get the benefits that's it 
See, that, that is that last piece. We, we have we have to flip it around and actually not have it be about these outcomes. The outcomes will come. You know, the, the fitness, the improved energy, the, the weight loss, it, it will come. But what you'll remember was, for me, blasting 60 kilometers an hour down a hill next to a waterfall as I just narrowly go around a car that was zooming up the other way, not looking where they're going as they're on their phone, not thinking someone out here in the boondocks is going to be riding 60 kilometers an hour down this hill at them. That's what you remember, the experience of of, of that. It has to be more about reconnecting. Right at the beginning of our our chat here, reconnecting with reality, feeling grounded in in, in the presence of, of the moment and finding activities that make that easier. You talk about your jujitsu or your mountain bike, which I did a lot of that when I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and you don't want to fall off the cliff into the cactus or, or near the rattlesnake that's just up ahead. And so you're pretty switched on the entire time, but it doesn't feel as cognitively demanding as let's say like a zoom call would, even though you are probably more switched on in those moments. And if anything, you get energy back from it. And you're spot on. People have to go first and foremost, search out what is fun, what requires their body, but is is fun, and then just do more of it. And I do believe if that's the formula we follow, and if weight loss is part of your journey you want to be on, all of a sudden the nutrition becomes easier. The weight loss maintenance becomes easier when you found a physical medium that authentically speaks to you. I just think we have narrowed the choices down to going to a gym, holding a barbell, getting on a bike, right? In front of a computer screen now, not to say if that's your thing, go for it all day long. It's not an or, it's an and. And Craig, we need a lot more and because there are many other ways to get your fitness to engage your body than what our industry has has presented. And it's not just for fitness freaks. It's for people who want to thrive in their life, whatever that is. So hopefully for whoever's listening, if they haven't found it, they'll at least start to search. That's all you can ask someone to do. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful way to end. Oh, by the way, I'm about to get on my Peloton as well. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I I enjoy it. it like I said, it, it's, it's, an, it's an awe. It's an and or an awe. I, I was on the bike yesterday. I'm doing some spinning tonight because it's got yeah. dark in the UK. So there you go. Yeah. Beautiful way to end. Have you got any final points in these last 20 seconds or do you just want to say bye-bye? <laughs> Greg, I, 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 think we've, I think we've said it. I think we've said it. If, if you feel like something's missing, it's missing. Go search for it. Yeah. Beautiful. It's been a pleasure just like last time, Nick. I'll probably end up asking you to come on again in another couple of months. I've got to the point now where I find cool people to talk to and I just talk to them again and again. More fun that way. Absolutely. Let's talk Zen philosophy next time. Yeah. Thank you, man. And uh, we'll speak again soon. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Be well in the meantime.